0: Welcome to another episode of Civic Cipher, I'm your host Ramses Ja. He is Ramses Mm Ja. I am Q Mm War Listen, um, I'm going to need you to stick around because this is our year-end recap episode And you are listening to Civic Cipher Yes indeed So um, around here on Civic Cipher, for those who are just getting familiar, we talk about a lot of stuff talk about a lot of heavy stuff we talk about political issues that are important to black and brown communities we talk about systemic issues that are important to black and brown communities we talk about we talk a lot about police violence injustice shootings that sort of stuff yeah and in
1: short our show is not lit yeah but it's important you know what i mean there's a like, gravity here there's a lot of gravity here that's what i meant yeah it's not lit it's not light it's not trivial Uh, it's not just for your entertainment Mm. um there's some education here there's a lot of gravity here Mm -hmm. a
0: lot of truth here and sometimes even some hurt unfortunately sure sure and uh this past year we spent a lot of time talking about a lot of different issues so we're going to review some of the standout uh topics that we've discussed then you're welcome to go back and check out our website civiccipher.com and listen to these stories at length but great show in store for you where we get a chance to really just reflect on what we've seen happen throughout the year also we're going to spend some time talking about black banking institutions okay um why they're important uh, you know what they mean um this is something that is new to me, and so I'm excited to continue to learn more and hopefully share something that you haven't learned before. And then, of course, for our Way Black History Fact, we're going to talk about the great African Roman Emperor. Sounds interesting. Wow. So stick around for that. Uh, but yeah, first and foremost, we're going to get into some Ebony Excellence, which is Q's favorite segment. Absolutely. Indeed. So um, today's Ebony Excellence is sponsored by Hip Hop Weekly Media. And we are going to be discussing Greenwood Incorporated. I mentioned we're going to talk about uh, black banking institutions. Well, um, this comes from blackenterprise.com. Greenwood Incorporated continues to lead the black bank movement or sorry, the bank black movement with another 45 million in venture capital funding. So I'll read Um Greenwood Incorporated, which kicked off the bank black movement in 2020, announced that it has raised $45 million in venture capital funding to expand its digital banking services. Forbes reported the Atlanta-based digital banking platform is co-founded by former entertainment executive Ryan Glover, tech entrepreneur Paul Judge, 90-year-old former Atlanta mayor Andrew Young Jr. and rapper Michael Killer Mike Rendere. Greenwood Inc., named after the Oklahoma City where the Tulsa race massacre took place, was created to help black and brown consumers who increasingly pivot to minority-owned financial institutions as an alternative to mainstream banks, which have decades-long histories of racial discrimination. That's another thing that we've talked about on the show. We'll get to more of that in just a minute. But for now, I'll uh, wrap up our Ebony Excellence here. Greenwood Incorporated currently has about 100,000 accounts. With another 200000 on a waiting list, it's a great position to be in. The digital bank's latest funding round was led by Pendulum, a firm that targets black and brown founders. The investment made Pendulum the largest investor on a dollar basis in the digital banking platform. So uh, once again, shout out to Greenwood Incorporated and shout out to all those um, responsible for bringing it to life. Um, we love to see the growth in that sector. Uh, the Bank Black movement is alive and well, and we'll keep monitoring it. Indeed. So, so yeah. Now, uh, Civic Cypher, our year in review. All right. Uh, let's go back to January. Long time ago. Do you remember we had a show, Q? where we asked the question, why do many black people vote Democrat?
1: I do remember that show. I remember that question being asked on the show. And I think we both can recall that question being asked hundreds of times before and after. We actually even had that conversation with Charlemagne.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, of course, we invite you to go back and listen to the episode. But in short, um, based on what I remember uh, that essentially boiled down to the framework of our political system here in the, in the country. Um, we have a two-party political system um, and a lot of black people have a shared reality. Of course, we have you know a large uh, shared culture. Um, but, yeah, I think it's more the shared reality. Um, We experience America in largely the same way. And if we are looking at a two-party system, then we can only choose one of those. And so um, I want to say it was uh, Eldridge Cleaver who said that none of the political candidates really speak for us they don't know us And this was like back in the 60s or whatever but he said something it was it was a very profound speech that he had given and i just remember this part of it but he said you know um nixon and uh whoever his opponent was i forget the name um they don't they don't speak to us they're not for us they do, they're not for our communities they have uh no interest in making our realities better um but one of them could potentially make our reality worse. And this is kind of a reality that a lot of Black people have to, to live with in terms of you know when we cast our, our vote. Um, a lot of times the excitement that you may see is not in us voting for a particular candidate, Obama being a notable exception. For obvious reasons, I hope that no one out there would question why that would be important for black and brown people to see. Um, But again, our excitement when we cast our votes isn't necessarily because we're getting our person in the in the office. It's often because we're voting against the person who will make our reality worse. And there's something there. You know, um, I remember having the conversation. There's something there about us voting almost like a voting block you know what i mean we we're not a uh uh, what's the word we're not a um, monolith but when we vote again it reflects our shared reality and we've seen and heard from our family members who've come before us we've read you know those of us that know a bit about our history we recognize that you know there have been moments in history, American history, where black people have done very well. And there's 100% of the time been a subsequent backlash against those various black communities that have done well. They've kind of created their own governments, elected officials, created black banking institutions and, you know, doctors and hospitals and schools and so forth. And then they get burned to the ground or there's, you know, some sort of corruption that takes place or the clan gets called in and they kill everybody or whatever the case is. So because we know this, we recognize that things can get worse. And for many of us, it feels like this is really the extent of our allowance of, of that's not the right word, let me think. It's the extent of our... um capacity to involve ourselves in the political process here it's not like we're writing letters to people and they're going to listen and come back and that's not just a black person thing a lot of people feel like if you write a letter it doesn't really go anywhere unless you're connected you know um so you know once every couple of years we get a chance to cast our vote and if we have a largely shared reality then it's very easy for us to have that shared reality be reflected in the votes that we cast. And so, um, yeah, I do remember that conversation, but that was the show in short. We obviously peeled back a lot more layers.
1: Yeah. And I mean, the acceptance of our reality and the truth that comes with the outcomes Mm -hmm. uh, with regard to how they affect our lives, it's a sad truth that we have to think and vote that way. Mm -hmm. You know, there's no one out there that's going to make things better for us. Yeah. There's yeah. no one out there who's even considering us in most cases, but there's somebody. And I won't say that there's no one considering us. There's nobody considering better outcomes for us. Sure. Some people are absolutely considering worse yeah. outcomes for us. And we have to, in, in often cases vote to protect ourselves from that.
0: Oh, we've seen time and again that, uh, we are very much disposable. Yeah. The, uh, misguided war on drugs is a great example um there are you're so
1: kind, Rambles. <laughs>
0: misguided. Yeah. It was guided, it was aimed,
1: it was specific, yeah. but it was
0: it was intended to disrupt the yeah. hippie community and and the we, black power movement. We can, we can
1: call it misguided, sure. but you're such a kind, um, graceful, and generous human being. I love you for that.
0: You know, we got some listeners where the truth kind of hits hard, and so we gotta soften it a little bit. I but, understand. You know. Anyway, um, you know, there's again active uh aggression uh from our government uh toward black people there's a history of it there's lots of history of it you know a couple of years ago when we were dealing with whether or not to get people vaccinated we had to you know come up against the tuskegee experiments in short these experiments that the united states government performed on black sharecroppers and infecting them with syphilis and then refusing to give them treatments um just to see what would happen so these black people were disposable. You know, these black people were expendable, you know, these 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 experiments. And this is something going back decades. And so um, the Democrats often don't feel like, you know, granted, Democrats have done a lot of stuff that has made things worse. In particular, those studies that they did about um, housing and the structure of the black family, where there's a Democrat Democrat backed study that suggested that black fathers not being in the home was the result of uh or, or ended up resulting in the economic state of black America. Um which, there's also some
1: I guess role uh, reversal, right? Because when you say Democrat, the modern Democrat is
0: not the same as Sure, sure. That's you know, that's fair. The, but the also But also it I think that speaks to the fact that these political parties don't live our reality. Mm-hmm. So to, to continue with the one um, subject that I was just mentioning, uh, the Democrat back study on, you know, uh, economics and black household and so forth and home ownership, et cetera, um, pointed out that like unmarried black mothers was the source of all this stuff. And it didn't account for the fact that um, black people economically were worse off. And when you get married, it. Uh, compromises your ability to get benefits it didn't account for the fact that um, black people were uh, unfairly targeted by police died at younger ages etc all these such sorts of things and so when you adjust for those elements um, and we didn't find that out until recently black people are actually better fathers to their children than any other race everybody right And it took a long time for that to come out because this study was done, I believe, in the early 60s, late 50s, somewhere in there. But that became a myth that black people don't take care of our children. Black men don't take care of our children. And everybody just accepted it, completely ignoring the fact that Africa is a place that exists where black men take care of their children just fine. You know what I mean? Um, Completely ignoring the fact that there are societal and, and governmental and structural Conditions Put in place uh, Oftentimes Causing a people Who are trying to survive To get creative With what survival looks like And so that That means that we can't get married So that you can keep getting your benefits And we'll have enough food to eat Then so be it But then that means You're not married But we're still a family We're, we're married And all and, but a piece of paper And juxtapose what it
1: means To be black In America specifically Which is a whole Entire can of
0: gasoline sure. To prone that fire Sure um, another thing we talked about was, does defunding the police work? And, you know, uh, the jury's still out on that. I'm a big fan of defunding the is, police. Is the jury still out though? Cause well, I, we haven't, so here's, we, don't,
1: we don't have a control group to give you any data. We haven't defunded the police to know
0: if it works. So, you know what I'm saying? Like we can't, that's a fair point. That's a fair point. If we're being scientific about it, there hasn't been a control group versus a non-control group but we'll we'll get into this a little bit more because this has kind of been our thing all year yes so when i say the jury's still out on that i am saying that to say that this is supposed to be a long-term look at the overall effects not just what's happened in six months or a year not something that's been over overshadowed by you know the economy or overshadowed by a pandemic, something that can exist on its own in a vacuum, in a controlled environment, if you will, a controlled, I guess, national environment or climate, yeah. you know, a controlled national climate, where there's nothing that could really sway um, the results in one significant way or another. Um You're just left to see, okay, do you, this this city has poured more money and resources into their police. They had similar rates of crime or whatever beforehand. And this city... Has defunded their police department and put those funds into crime prevention measures, um, uh, to increasing job stability, increasing housing stability, and making sure that you know uh, schools are are funded properly, making sure that there's no need for there to be crime in the first place, because the funding the police narrative uh, assumes that human beings will just be bad, and the defunding the police. Uh, narrative assumes that a very small percentage of people will just be bad everyone else is only bad based on the fact that they have lack of options or they're backed up against the wall and then they cultivate a lifestyle around the the lack so so is the question then would defunding the police work instead of does right cuz the example that you just gave would actually be the control group in, that we needed in the right? show in the show there were a couple of cities where um they had they were reporting early data and they were per- some of the cities where it looked like very promising um you know it looked great but there were other cities that they had defunded the police and if i remember correctly and you know crime w- rates there was no appreciable impact on crime rates or a crime had gone up or something like that. And these were the headlines. Um and when you look at who's behind the media, then you're like, okay, well, wait a minute. Have we had enough time? Of course not. To and that's, see, that's what I was about to say. That's such a dishonest headline. Sure. There's definitely sure. not enough time and, and are it. there other factors that might be affecting this? Yeah, you that's... know, if there's if again, economic factors, you know, if people have no money, people will figure out a way to eat. People will figure out a way to feed their kids. People will figure out a way to survive. Right. And it does, your laws don't matter at that point. Shoplifting is breaking the law. But if you have food in your store and I'm hungry, guess who's getting some food? Me. I'm not worried about the laws. I'm not about to starve to death when you got a store full of food. And if I can just walk in there and get it, right? This is, it's it's inhumane, right? But uh, when they take those crime rates and say, well, shoplifting is up because we've defunded the police, no, you're connecting the wrong dots here. You know what I mean? So, anyway we had that conversation and i implore you to go back and check that out that was in january and february we talked about did Ahmad aubrey's murderers get what they deserved and then we talked about um the officer kim potter uh that's the woman who was in michigan and she shot um the young man do me a favor can you find his name because i want to say his name that's a thing that we do around here um but uh for Ahmad Aubrey's murderers, those are the guys that jumped in the truck and chased him down the street. He was jogging in, um, and they shot him dead in the street, uh, and then they went to jail, uh, and uh, then he, they got convicted. Minneapolis
1: suburb is where that happened, not Michigan.
0: Uh, Minneapolis, and, uh, that's what I meant.
1: The young man's name was
0: uh, Dante Wright. That's right. So uh, Kim Potter is the one that, if you mm-hmm. remember the video, she shouted, taser, 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 pulls out her guns a gun and, and shoots him in the car as he was trying to get away right so um i think she got off after everything said and done she might have been in prison for maybe like six months or something she might be out now you know what i mean so um they they kind of gave her a reduced sentence and then time she served was Sentenced and then, to two years man right but there there's something else there where she got like another six months off so maybe she's not out yet but she's she can see the light I mean, at the end maybe of the tunnel. Meanwhile, uh Dante Wright will never see the light of day again. So we had that conversation this year. It's been a heavy year. Um we did talk about in March Ryan Coogler, uh for those who don't know he's the person who directed uh, bl- the Black Panther movies, Um Wakanda Forever and the original Black Panther. Um and he was detained at the bank for taking out a cash withdrawal. Um and we used that episode to talk about um how far prejudice can go because it is possible for black people to prejudge black people as well because the bank he went into the teller was black the ba- bank manager was black and then they called the police on him for taking out a cash a withdrawal for twenty thousand dollars um and he said he wanted it he wanted it to be discreet because he didn't want anyone to know so he handed a note and uh they treated it like it was a robbery he handed police- a note and then provided id
1: yeah and okay. then provided his bank card and then provided his pin code that 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 yeah. part of that has to be yeah. included because yeah. anybody could hear he handed a note well of course they were scared he he gave them a note yeah he then identified himself gave his bank card and his pin number and of course the money was to in an the account. account that had the money in it that was his yeah he still got the
0: police called on him. right and he then was still detained by those police sure. sure so um we had to have that conversation we really had to again, peel back the banking while black because that incident while there were black people working at that branch, uh, that's very commonplace. And in the remainder of the stories that we discussed um, on the show, everyone else was, these were white uh, tellers, white branch managers or Hispanic or whatever the case is. In any any case, walking into a bank while being black, it's... Uh, more likely that you would be profiled. And so we had this conversation. Um, and don't you dare be show. black and rich. Yeah. It's a weird thing. Don't yeah. you dare. Yeah. It's, it's, it's like it's, it's hard for people to really, um, conceive of that being true. You must be a thief. You must have stolen something. You must be doing something illegal. And we, we try to be fair on this show because we recognize that no one is born prejudiced. You're taught prejudices based on stereotypes that society reinforces all around you. And so again, Black people can be prejudiced against Black people the same as anyone else. But if we don't talk about it here, then we don't do our part to try to influence folks to think critically about their prejudices and to challenge themselves. And if you're listening to our voices, you know, on this show in March and on today's show, this is kind of our aim. Um, In April, we spent some time talking about will smith and chris rock that was uh that was something that we had to process we the black delegation had it to process indeed. that and that we had was a... that was not an easy thing for no. us to process either yeah um, we had to process it differently um for us because again i think i said it best that's like an uncle getting in a fight with you know your uncle your other uncle and it just felt like kind of uh, so we had to we had to sit with that one um, we also, in April talked about how black people were being overcharged for housing. Um, we, and then a separate episode, we talked about, um, how Wells Fargo was sued for discriminatory loan practices. So, you know, black people in banking. And
1: I don't know if these things were in conjunction, but no, no, there was two but separate episodes. No, what I'm saying this next point, we also talked about black people's homes being undervalued yeah. because the owners yeah. were black. Yeah. Right. So charged more when you buy it. And then it's valued as less because you own it. Right. You know, I
0: think a black couple had a white couple oh, stage We, we house. did two episodes yeah. about that. Yeah. And the value increased substantially. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, just a, uh, an interesting year. And, you know, if I look back, if I'm honest, I'm like kind of, this is like, this is crazy that we get to do a show. We have you listening to us. We have supporters around the whole country. And we get to talk about these things that really matter, that these, these topics almost never come up in your normal life. I know that because, you know, many of our listeners share that. I would never know these things, but this is very true and it's our reality. Um, and then in May, we asked a very important question that has come up many times on the show since then. But we asked, do police make you safer? And w- Another impossible question to answer because we have no
1: data to the contrary. We we, we can't because we've always had police, mm-hmm. right? We don't know how to compare what it would be like
0: if we didn't. But we did on this one episode, we did um, start off by asking about an increase in officers we didn't go from zero to 100 but we had let's say 50 to 100 so we an increase in officers in a few cities around the country um and those increased that increased police presence failed to make a significant dent in crime crime levels in other words back to the uh uh, defunding thing maybe deal with the issues that are causing the crime not trying to police it away because the issues was are what caused people to actually engage in that type of behavior. Um, but yeah, police either, they neither prevented more crimes from happening nor did they solve more crimes. Um, and, you know, in that episode, we did our best to think critically about what public safety looks like presently and what it could look like in the future, especially if it was a little bit more fairer and less hurtful to some of us. So we'll be back with more right after this.